Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our special guest is Ken Craycraft. Ken is a licensed attorney and is the James J. Gardner Family Chair of Moral Theology at Mount St. Mary's Seminary and School of Theology in Cincinnati. And Ken, you just wrote a, a really compelling article from First Things called What Christians Can Expect from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And, you know, it's been about a month since the election. So since we heard, you know, where we were likely going right after the election, has the last month changed your opinion on where you think we we're going to go? Oh, no, not at all. Um, as a matter of fact, signals have been sent by um, Vice Pre- by President-elect Biden that uh, he's going to be acting consistently with the way that I predicted in the article, um, both, both in terms of his appointments, uh, people that he's appointing to policy positions, cabinet positions, uh, as well as uh, his intention on implementing um, uh, regulations as soon as he takes office, including uh, this new trend in the last few presidencies uh, uh, ruling by executive order. So, no, nothing has changed my mind. If anything, it's all been, uh, un- unfortunately, uh, sadly confirmed. Yeah, he's probably he's probably bought a stock in pens because I agree with you. I think executive orders are going to be the rule of the day and he will have no problem doing that if he's actually able to sign his name and somebody doesn't have to do it for him. <laughs> well, no comment on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love the way you start the article. You basically say uh, we have two choices. One's bad and the other one's worse. Yeah. In terms of what we yeah, should the, expect. The, the, yeah, the bad one is the, is the, the bad choice or the bad expectation is that he would impose, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that he would impose policies that are in tension with our moral commitments as Christians. And, you know, that is to say policies that while they wouldn't cause us necessarily to violate our own religious principles, uh, at least would make it more difficult or uncomfortable for us uh, by implementing policies that are uh, not consistent with Christian faith. That, that's, the, that's the more optimistic, but the less realistic um, right. uh, set of proposals. The second one, of course, is that he'll impose moral positions through policy prescriptions and, and uh, regulations and executive orders that are that are not just in tension with or uh, that are contradictory to, but uh, impinge upon our religious faith and either require us to participate in things that are contrary to our faith or to uh, impinge upon religious liberty directly to uh, cause us to, to either have to do things or not do things that many Christians find to be uh, imperative and consistent with uh, the practice of Christian, of Christian faith. Well, you know, it it's makes it even more painful, somebody who pretends uh, to be a Catholic— uh, who comes out with this? Although you do, you do give him some credit, and I agree with you, right? He's not at least he's not intellectually disingenuous, right? With the old, you yeah. know, Kennedy line, I'm personally opposed to it, but yeah, and and I, you know, I, I do want to make the the point, Deacon. I mean, I I, I am as harsh on uh, on Joe Biden and and Vice President Elect Kamala Harris as anyone has been. And the, the first things article that you mentioned is, is one of three or four that, that I've written about, about the one or both of them. 
but the but the point that I that I always want to make and 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 emphasize in any context because I don't want to be accused otherwise is denying uh, pre- uh, President Elect Biden's Catholicism. Yeah, that's you know, we're true. We're Catholic by our baptism. Right. We're Catholic by our baptism, not by our set of beliefs. And uh, I, I I wrote an article someplace else that said. Uh, I forget what the I forget now exactly what I call it. It was in the Catholic Herald, but basically I said uh, you know an, an analysis of uh, of of my my fellow bad Catholic Joe Biden because I'm a sinner and he's a sinner. Uh, I I obviously believe that he holds position far more positions than I do that are contrary to Catholic faith, but but uh, that doesn't deny um, his his common baptism. And uh, our prayer uh, should be that you know that he lives his life more consistently with and advocates positions both morally and policy positions that are more consistent with that baptism. And and I really don't, you know, I I don't, I'm not interested in, you know, in denying or putting in quotation marks his Catholicism. Yes, his practice of Catholicism is, in my view, inconsistent with that baptism, but it doesn't change the fact that he's a Baptist Catholic, baptized Catholic, and therefore, you know, my brother in Christ, imperfect uh, as he might be. Yeah, no, and I and I I agree with you, right? And that's what I probably should have said was in terms of his practicing— uh, exactly. he, he could practice uh, a lot better because you, you generally play like you practice and uh, his practicing is uh, definitely in question. And look, if he ever did have a, you know, a reversion and really embrace the teaching of the trade, how, faith, how, how impactful would that be in our world to see that in such a high level? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, that, and that's why, you know, our posture as Catholic Christians, as fellow Catholic Christians, should be to pray for that, as you say, that reversion or that he take more consistently the, the full range of Catholic doctrine because he is in that kind of a position. On the other hand, the, the obverse of that, of course, is that um, he causes confusion and scandal. And we can talk about the particular policy positions that I outline in the article, but the overarching theme and the overarching problem from the standpoint, from my standpoint as a Catholic moral theologian and as a, a Catholic who has a fairly uh, high public per- profile, is that he causes confusion and scandal among the faithful. And, and that, that's a serious problem uh, in, in any event. Uh, but it's especially a serious a serious problem when it's you know the president of the United States who takes takes positions that he that he believes obviously are consistent with or, or at least not in con- uh, contradiction to his professed Catholic faith, which clearly are. And you know and it brings to mind you know the, the from the Gospels when Jesus you know basically says if you cause scandal it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the ocean, um, because the when when we cause scandal in our public uh, lives whether we're the president of the United States or you know the janitor uh, we're uh, we're putting at risk the souls of other people and that's a very serious problem. Well, that and the fact that St. Paul tells us not to receive communion unworthily, and when we, do, that, when we go against the direct moral teachings of the Church, uh, condemnation is, is generally the prize, and that's something we don't wish on anybody. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, so, you know, you start off with, uh, with the abortion issue, and he has been very clear since he's been running, since he was vice president— that he believes it's it's a right of every woman to have an abortion without any restrictions. Yeah. Uh, and he's yeah. basically said, and you talk in the article, what's he going to do with the Affordable Care Act? Yeah, and this is this is where, going back to the allusion that you made earlier to John Kennedy, I, I actually was thinking of Mario Cuomo when I said that to, you know, to yeah. his, and this is damning with faint praise, of course, uh, that 
he doesn't take the personally opposed but position of some Catholic politicians. He, he really seems to completely buy into the idea that uh, abortion is a, legit, a legitimate moral uh, choice, uh, which at least Mario Cuomo said that he didn't uh, believe, uh, you know, whether whether you you know, take that uh, on face value or not. But uh, with the ACA, for example, um, and, and other pos- positions, he's, he's going to be very aggressive in uh, implementing uh, and strengthening abortion policies. Uh, with the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, um, it's been well publicized that the, uh, the Little Sisters of the Poor, a religious organization whose sole purpose is to care for uh, uh, indigent elderly, poor and indigent elderly patients, um, they've been in the Supreme Court since 2017, since the Affordable Care Act was passed, or 2018, and they recently won this year a, a hard-fought battle in the Supreme Court in which they were finally, the court said that they, uh, the Little Sisters of the Poor and organizations like them will not be forced under the Affordable Care Act to subsidize or otherwise to facilitate the procurement of contraception or abortions by their lay employees through their insurance plans. Uh, Vice President President President-elect Biden immediately said uh, this summer that he was disappointed by that decision and that he would strengthen the Affordable Care Act, re-implement regulations that would once again uh, force the Little Sisters of the Poor and organizations like them to facilitate the uh, procurement of contraception and abortion for their lay employees, which, of course, will cause the Little Sisters to have to spend more resources that could be otherwise spent on doing good things mm-hmm. uh, to to uh, to uh, pay lawyers and and otherwise to to spend resources and uh, that uh, you know on on fighting these battles that which you know they won in the Supreme Court in which he immediately said that that he will reverse so it's you know the irony of an irony Deacon because here you have a, a a Catholic politician who who is vocal about his Catholicism and yet, you know, is willing to, and, and, and let's face it, what he'll do is sue them yeah. uh, because he will sue them because they'll refuse. And so this administration will sue the Little Sisters of the Poor, which, uh, you know, is, is, is uh, <laughs> it, by itself just uh, almost a, a perverse thing to even think about doing. Yeah, I mean, it just, it just the optics of it. And, and he was complicit in it during yeah. the Obama administration, too. So, I mean, he wasn't exactly uh, defending them then. So he, uh, if, if nothing else, we can say he, he has been consistent although his repeal of the Hyde Amendment isn't quite consistent with his prior record, though, is it? No, even uh, he has in the past been a, support, has been a supporter of the Hyde Amendment. When he was in the Senate, he has never uh, voiced any opposition to the Hyde Amendment. And uh, for listeners who might not be aware, the Hyde Amendment is a, it's a perennial uh, a rider that is attached to every appropriations bill in Congress and has been since 1977, which uh, forbids the federal government from directly funding abortion. Now, we can talk about problems funding Planned Parenthood, which might be a distinction without a difference, but at least the Hyde Amendment says that federal tax dollars cannot be used to directly fund abortion. And every appropriations bill tax onto it, the so-called Hyde Amendment, named for the great uh, lion of the House of Representatives, Henry Hyde, um, from the 1980s and 1970s, 80s, and 90s. And, and uh, as a senator, uh, Joe Biden never opposed the Hyde Amendment. But now, 
And uh, cynically, you might say, beholden to the constituency that nominated him and got him elected, he has said that he'll repeal the Hyde Amendment. And this is a game changer because this isn't just about funding organizations like Planned Parenthood, which perform abortions. This is about using tax dollars through the Medicaid program and other federal health assistance programs directly to pay for women to go in and procure an abortion using federal tax dollars that are taken from you and me. So this is what I said earlier about the more difficult problem, those that are repugnant to us. This is a policy that will cause you and me to directly pay for someone to have an abortion by the repeal of the Hyde Amendment. And once again, for a person who professes to be Catholic and who indeed you know, has a Catholic baptism, uh, it's, it's, it's shocking and disappointing. And as I say in the article, it's repugnant. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the scandal before, because I've had people come up to me, even today, I was talking to, uh, some, uh, executives with focus on the family and they're like, so what is it like to have a Catholic president like Biden? I mean, it's almost a joke that we have to keep talking about and explaining, you know, the, the, the fine difference between being baptized a Catholic and actually living out the faith and not causing scandal. So uh, I'm sure you've maybe run into that once or twice in your position, huh? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's quite disappointing. I mean, basically, you know, you mentioned Kennedy earlier, and, you know, this will be the uh, second Catholic president, and Biden has taken a page right out of uh, John F. Kennedy's book by essentially saying that his Catholic faith has no purchase on his moral life whatsoever. And I, and I want to say this as well, because a lot of people will say, well, look, he takes Catholic positions on things like immigration and health care policy and welfare policy and capital punishment. And I don't disagree that some of his positions are consistent with my understanding of some of those issues related to Catholic social doctrines, such as immigration policy and capital punishment. But those, but those are not informed by Catholic faith, even though those he takes he, his positions, the positions that he takes might be consistent with some aspects of Catholic social doctrine. Clearly, his his moral positions are informed by the platform of the Democratic Party. So even those positions that he takes, which I might be sympathetic with, they still aren't informed by Catholic moral thought, because for, for Vice President Biden or President-elect Biden, Catholic moral thought simply has no purchase over his personal moral life, and therefore it has no purchase over his public moral life. So it, you, you literally have a Catholic for whom the, the teachings of the Catholic Church have no bearing whatsoever. Now, Kennedy said that explicitly that it wouldn't. In his famous speech to the Human Houston Baptist yep. Association, yep. He, he expressly said that. He didn't. He didn't pretend otherwise. Biden has never expressly said that. But the but the fact is, and, and this is you know, it, it, excuse me, easily observed. He simply has set aside. Uh, he talks about Catholic faith as giving him comfort. He talks about comfort. You know, so in other words, it's useful to him uh, on a psychological level. You might say. Uh, but its utility is pretty much limited to that, and, uh, and and he certainly has no interest in following the church's teaching on anything. And again, even to the extent that it might coincide some of his positions with Catholic church teaching, it's not informed by church teaching. It's informed by Catholic or by by rather by a Democratic Party platform. It's almost an accidental, right? I mean, it just happened. It's a coincidence exactly. that they both exactly. that they both no. agree. It's yeah. not because of yeah. And that's exactly correct. Yes. And, you know, what I'd like, you know, you talk about gender ideology and religious liberty. But, you know, when we talk about, you know, his uh, indication that he supports the Equality Act, that basically covers both of them, doesn't it? Because that would 
destroy any kind of uh, gender understanding that men are men and women are women, and then it would destroy religious liberty at the same time. Yes, the Equality Act is an extraordinarily dangerous piece of legislation, and uh, it has passed the House of Representatives uh, a couple of times. It has not yet passed the Senate because the Senate has been controlled by Republicans. Um, we don't know yet, of course, whether or not the Senate will be controlled by Republicans in the in the uh, first two years of the Biden administration, because right now uh, two Senate races in Georgia are subject to a runoff. So it's quite possible that it might. So we might be looking at a situation in which the Equality Act not only passes the House, but also would have enough votes in the Senate to pass. And as I said, this is a very dangerous piece of legislation because essentially what the Equality Act does is, as I, as I put it to my students, it makes it illegal to use the correct pronoun to describe someone. And what I mean by that is the Equality Act would make it a civil rights violation not to refer to someone by the pronoun of their so-called gender identity rather than their biological sex. So a lot of times people say, well, what difference does it make to me whether a person, a man wants to call himself a woman or not? How does that hurt me? And you often hear that as dismissive, even by Catholics saying, well, it's no skin off my uh, back if, someone, if a man wants to call himself a woman or vice versa. But what the Equality Act would do is, among other things, is to make it a violation of the Constitution. If someone, if a woman declares that, that she is now uh, identifies as a male, and I refuse in public to use female, male pronouns for that woman, to call her him uh, or to refer to her as he, under the Equality Act and legislation similar to it in other states, that would be a violation of that person's constitutional rights under the Due Process Clause of the Constitution. Moreover, it would fall under, uh, according to many people who support this act, it would fall under anti other anti-discrimination laws in the United States, subjecting the person who refuses to use false pronouns to lawsuits, both by the person who makes the claim, but also by the government. The federal government could sue you for using the wrong pronoun. The Equality Act sounds so benign and so good. Who could be against equality? But it's not about equality. It's about the imposition of a radical, secular, gender ideology on the public. And it's very dangerous. In addition to the problems that I just described, I have uh, I have nine children, including five daughters. And all, all five of my daughters have been very successful athletes. Um, a couple even competing on a, a high level on a national on a national stage, both in high school and in college. If my daughters had to compete against boys, they would not have the success that they have. The Equality Act would force schools that receive public funding, which is virtually every public school in the United States, to allow boys to compete against girls. Uh, under the under so-called gender uh, gender uh, identity uh, uh, issues. So in other words, a biological male uh, who identified as a female must be permitted to participate in girls' athletic events or that school would uh, lose its public funding, its federal funding. And no no public school in the United States can uh, exist without federal funding. It's, it's the way that the federal government imposes its policy where it otherwise doesn't have any legislative authority. 
So once again, the Equality Act is an extremely dangerous uh, piece of legislation that we have to be very uh, that we have to be very worried about. Well, we basically blow up Title IX. We have you know some some school districts already imposing it, so we see how detrimental detrimental it would be. And and. And what's ironic about it is, is that it would blow up Title IX in the name of Title IX. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, 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 and so, so you have so you have the Equality Act, which it's the implementing which which its its supporters, including Kamala Harris, has been the most vocal supporter, uh, regarded as an extension of Title IX. Which, for listeners who are not aware, Title IX is that uh, aspect of the 1964 Civil Rights Act that applies to education. Um, and it would blow up Title IX in the name of implementing uh, laws that are consistent with Title IX. But, of course, the way that it does that is, is it changes the, the definition of sex to biological, uh, to biological sex to you know, sexual identification or sexual identity. And, unfortunately, in the past Supreme Court term, the Supreme Court gave, um, unfortunately, uh, under its, under its pr- prior uh, uh, composition, it gave uh, it gave support to the Equality Act and made it more difficult to, uh, to avoid uh, the implications of the Equality Act if it would become law. Now, uh, under the new uh, Supreme Court composition, of course, uh, that that could be uh, curtailed or even vacated, but uh, that's that's uh, yet to be seen. Yeah, and I think you know, in terms of the Equality Act, and we've done actually a couple of shows on that um, because how it was so important when it was going through the House. So look, some Republicans actually voted for this. So even if you get the majority, you got to make sure that people understand how dangerous this is. It basically forces those with faith to deny a reality about men and women, and it actually forces us to perpetuate a delusion. And we've had people who that's right who have done the you know who have gone through the transition who have detransitioned back you know as much as you can who said, look, this is child abuse and. This is terrible. We should not be fostering this, and this is what the Equality Act would make you do. That, that's exactly right, and and I and I, I I always make the distinction between the name and the pronoun. If somebody wants, if 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 Jill wants to call herself Jack, fine, I'll call Jill Jack. What I won't call Jill is a boy. Yep. And 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 that's you know that that's an important distinction and. And again, it isn't just a matter of that person's preference. It's a matter of the force of law requiring us either to participate in the lie uh, or to face possible financial implications and even financial ruin. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the goal. And and they both, uh, Kamala and Joe, both support it. And you also mentioned when it comes to religion. I mean, this would basically destroy religious liberty, right? We have the Supreme Court really change employment law with Bostock versus Clayton County this past session. And yeah. this would just be another yeah. another step in that process. So it would, you know, take away any of the free rights, right, from Catholic hospitals. I mean, it would be a train wreck. That's right. And, you know, and Bostock, of course, was the decision that I was talking about a couple of minutes ago. That's right. And so you can imagine uh, also under the Equality Act, in addition to the difficulties that I just identified, it would force a Catholic hospital, for example, to perform uh, to perform mutilation surgeries under the you know under the the title of gender affirmation surgeries. It, you know, it's not even called gender transition surgery anymore. It's called gender affirmation because it's surgery that uh, is supposed to make the person's genitals consistent with their gender identity. Um, and so it would and it would force Catholic hospitals, for example, to have to perform those surgeries, which violate 
the ethical and uh, religious directives for Catholic hospitals on a number of levels, not the least of which is removing perfectly uh, healthy organs, which is a violation itself of Catholic medical ethics. Uh, even aside from what the organ is, it's a violation of Catholic medical ethics to remove otherwise healthy organs that are not doing harm to the body. And, and that's exactly what the Equality Act would do. And throw in the, the fact that it's also requiring the hospital to facilitate this lie that a man can become a woman, and it makes it, uh, it, makes it even more profoundly troubling. Yeah, and I mean, so I, I will say to their credit, right, they ran based on, based on this. It wasn't like they were trying to pre- pretend that they were— uh, you know, looking out for religious freedom. I mean, their idea of religious freedom is you can do whatever you want in the walls of your church, but when you leave there, we'll tell you what to do. Um, <laughs> yes, that's right. They yeah. didn't try to hide it, that's for sure. No, they didn't. And, you you know, you also mentioned we're, you know, down to just a couple minutes, but, you know, there's the Do No Harm Act, right, that Kamala Harris is, you know, couldn't couldn't embrace tighter if she tried. Yeah, the Do No Harm Act is another very dangerous piece of legislation, which essentially the purpose of which is essentially to undermine or really even eliminate the so the Religious Freedom Restoration Act from 1993 and similar pieces of legislation across the country. In 1990, the Supreme Court made a very bad decision called, uh, in the uh, Employment Division versus Smith, the so-called Peyote case in which it allowed laws to stand and laws that limit, that made illegal certain religious practices as long as the law was generally applicable. The, it was a bad decision, and it was essentially legislative, legislatively overridden by the Religious Freedom Restoration Act in the federal uh, system and by many similar state laws across the country. The so-called Do No Harm Act, the purpose of the Do No Harm Act is essentially to undercut and eliminate the religious protections that come in the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which protect minority religions or even majority religions from having to comply with otherwise generally applicable laws that are direct violation to their religious practice. And and so, again, we see a very dangerous piece of legislation, the purpose of which, the very design and purpose of which is to eliminate religious expression in the public arena. Kamala Harris has, has mis- she, she often misquotes the First Amendment by saying that it protects the freedom of worship. She's very careful about this, and she knows exactly what she's saying. For Kamala Harris, religious liberty, as you said, is, is limited to the walls of the church to worship, and that there's no place for religious liberty outside of that. Essentially, essentially put it this way, Kamala Harris does not believe in religious freedom, period. Right. She has a long history of, of uh, consistent actions uh, that confirm that statement. Well, I, I appreciate you, you know, kind of putting pen to paper— uh, and and writing these down because people need to know uh, what we're in for, right? And the good news is, and in the end, you basically tell us, which is something we all need to remember, no matter who the politician is, law, regulation, they can't take away our faith. That's something we give away. We They can't take it, right? That's right. And, and uh, for too long, we've been too complicit in giving away our faith. And I think this is going to be a, a way for us to... Uh, there's going to be an acid test on how seriously we ourselves take our faith uh, as we face these challenges. And, and that's right. They can't take away our faith. 